0: I'm going to share with you this morning, the Lord is, is just incredible in His planning in the way He provides for us. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Pat Fitzgerald. I am the fiancé of Becky Kolak, in case you didn't know that. And in two weeks or less, we're getting married. Very exciting day. Thank you. A couple of things I would share with you this morning. Um, I consider it an honor and a privilege not only to handle the Word of God, but to share it with you this morning. What I'm gonna share with you this morning is a a message about God's providential care. And with God's providential care, um, it's a journey that I began some 11 months ago. And for those of you who don't know me um, and know my story, uh, my wife of 33 years at the time lost her uh, battle with cancer uh, on September 12th of last year. And this is kind of where this journey began. So this morning as I'm sharing this with you, um, there will probably come a few moments where I'm going to have to pause and collect myself and and that because it is very real and very personal. But this journey of God's providential care that that He has taken me through um, has been an amazing journey. And what I would share with you about this is, is that um, God has a plan, Becky says this to me often, God has a plan, and it's a good plan. And I want to share that with you this morning. Before we dig into God's providential care, I think it's, it's good to understand that we're going to do it in three areas. We're going to look at the past, we're going to look at the present, and we're going to look at the future. Um, and these three areas, we're going to see how God has planned every aspect of human existence, and nothing escapes his watchful eye. So as we do, I think it's good, I'm not sure where I'm supposed to be pointing, I think right there, because it's not moving anymore, again with the slides, so there we go. One of the things that I think we should do is kind of put a definition behind God's providential care or providence. I am not a Greek or Latin scholar by any stretch, so I rely on those who are. But the idea here is, as providence uh, defined, it comes from a Latin word called providentia or providentia. Again, not sure how, exactly how it... Ethan, is that you doing that? Nice job. Keep it up. All right. So, meaning foresight and, and to, to uh, plan ahead, look to the future and make plans and... To, to prepare for the future. So you have this concept then from a human perspective, and you have it both in a positive and a negative way. You'll see this in, in uh, the Scriptures. I like to use the Scriptures even to, to bring us these examples. And, and let me also say that this is by no stretch a, an exhaustive study of God's providence because I think it's a lifetime and it's an inexhaustible topic. Um, But the idea is, though, that from the Scriptures, we can see a couple of things. We see it in a positive um way. Aspect from a from a human perspective, in Acts chapter uh, 23, uh, verses one through three, Paul is on trial. Um, a man named Tertullus, I think is how you pronounce it, is presenting his case before Felix, and and he goes to stroke Felix's his ego before he presents his case. And he says to to Felix, he says, "Listen, your foresight and your planning has brought peace." and blessing to the nations and there are all of us and in all places with great gratitude we thank him for that and so you see this this foresight that he had it was done and then there was blessing for the people and it was for his in in this case human glory not God's glory which is really what we're gonna look at but you have this example of looking to the future making plans for the benefit of others and then for for the 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 individual's glory and and in this case it was Felix you see this in the negative sense from a human perspective in Romans chapter 13 in verses 12 to 14 which read besides this you know the time and the hour has come for you to awake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness or sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh or to gratify its desires. Two things about this scripture here is that I would share with you is that I love Paul's writing because he kind of sets you up and, and draws you in, because he gives you these, these big sins, as we would call them, you know, the, the sexual immorality, the drunkenness, those things, and then you go, phew, glad he wasn't talking to me. And then he says, yeah, but jealousy and quarreling, and it kind of encompasses me, all of me. And so you have Paul kind of set you up and draw you in, but what he's trying to say here is this. Is, is that he says, make no provision for the flesh. Don't plan on it. The flesh is a, 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 an adversary that we have in this life, and the flesh is, is a strong, strong uh, force to be reckoned with. And so he says, make no provision for that. Don't plan for that. It will take care of itself. And so he's saying from the negative side. And then from a human perspective, you have varying degrees of success or failure in, this, in my case, um, both in the positive and the negative. I make plans for the future, as I shared with you. Um, my wife of 33 years lost her battle uh, last September. If you were to go back many decades, I was 19 years old, I was dating, I was looking for a wife, I wanted to get married, I wanted to have children, I wanted to raise them, and I wanted them to be gone, and I wanted to still be young when they were gone. I was 53 years old when my last son left the house. I consider that young. I know some of you don't, but I do. If you're 70 or 80, it is young, okay? And so I had this great plan and I was doing this and on September 12th of last year, that plan got rocked. It got turned upside down. And, and so we can make these plans and then there's varying degrees of success and failure that take place. But what I really want to focus on this morning is from God's perspective. And when we do it from God's perspective, when we look at at providence from God's perspective, he makes plans only for the future. He doesn't have to look back because his previous plans were perfect and perfectly and flawlessly uh, fulfilled. So he looks to the future, he makes his plan, and then he, he purposes to, to, for, to make provisions to accomplish exactly what he said he was going to do. And secondly, he infallibly, infallibly, without fail, without any level of failure or success, perfect success, with infallible, he accomplishes what he sets out to do. Isaiah 46 and verses 10 and 11 read, I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel will stand and I will accomplish all of my purposes. Time and again, the scriptures will tell us that what God has planned, what God has purposed, he will accomplish and there's nothing left to chance. In Philippians chapter one and verse six, It reads, that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There is not a a level of failure. These are just two scriptures that, that, for me, I wanted to bring out. The scriptures are full of these promises of God that he will fulfill exactly what he intends to. What I did then is, in knowing that God's providence was planned out, it was planned out from eternity past, I looked at the scriptures and, and in Genesis chapter 22, very familiar passage, but I think it's worth reading again. Um, <clears throat> It is up on the screen if you want to follow along, but here it is. It says, from Genesis 22, very familiar passage, Abraham's being tested and asking him to sacrifice his son Isaac, and we pick up in verse 1. It says, Sometimes later, God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, Here am I, he replied, starting with verse 1. It says, "Sometimes later." God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. And early the next morning, Abraham got up, he loaded his donkey, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, and when they had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about on the third day Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there and we will worship and then we will come back to you Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac he and himself carried the fire and the knife and as the two of them went together Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham father yes my son Abraham replied Fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God A- Abraham answered, "God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they had reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there, arranged the wood on it, bound his son Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. He reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called from heaven, "'Abraham, Abraham, here am I,' he replied. "'Do not lay a hand on the boy,' he said. "'Do not do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, "'because you have not withheld your son, your only son.' "'And Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. "'He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. "'So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide, "'and to this day he said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided.' This scripture, one, is, is very familiar to us, but I think there's a number of things that, that we ought to consider uh, from this. Looking at verse uh, 1 and 2 of this passage, um, God called Abraham and he told him to go. He did it ahead of time. He prepared the place. God knew where he was sending him. Abraham got the message. He got up the next morning. He took off. Verse 7, his son Isaac says to him, we have the fire, we have the wood, but where's the lamb? Abraham, without hesitation, without doubt, without any fear, he says he trusted God and said that God will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. So he walks on with with his son um, and, and as we know as the, as the account unfolds, uh, God provides but but you look at this and and they reached the place that God had instructed him, okay so you have to think back now, there had to have been a conversation, there had to have been a leading, there had to have been information that Abraham got from God that said, go to this place, I'm going to show you this place. Doesn't outline it completely, but a couple of days before he looks up and he sees it. So it, there's this this planning ahead, there was this preparation. So Abraham uh, found the place, he built the altar, um, he, bound, he puts the wood on it, he binds Isaac, bound, binds Isaac whatever tension you, you need for that. But, and, and so you have this, and he raises the knife, and it's at that moment that God acted, you see. It, a lot of times, for myself, we, we want to see God do something, and then we believe. In Abraham's case here, God told him what to do. He was obedient. He did it without doubt. He did it without hesitation, and he did it without questioning God, and he took off to do this and that's when God acted you see and then God acted when he raised the knife he calls to Abraham and says hold on a second don't do that don't hurt the boy now I know that you fear God or now I know that you trust me now I know that you're all in if you will Abraham looks up and he sees the ram goes over gets the ram and sacrifices it this this passage as as it unfolds speaks to us Uh, we don't have to, to, we're not commanded to to sacrifice our children as Abraham was. We're never going to be called to do that. So what do we do with a scripture like this? And I think that the idea here is, is you have to apply the concept of what God is doing with and through and by Abraham here. And that's what we need to draw out. Because what he's saying to us here is, is uh, like in Ephesians chapter uh, three, verse twenty and twenty-one, it says, "Now to him who is able to do more, do immeasurable more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen." You see, when when we do it God's way. When we follow God's plans and don't don't interfere with them, these things take place, and and then God's blessings flow beyond and more immeasurable than anything we can imagine or even think of. They're they're just beyond anything that the human mind can comprehend. So you have these these blessings poured out, um, and, and and it goes on then in. Um, uh, Look at that. I lost my notes. But in the, the last few verses of that passage, talks about how uh, Abraham's going to be blessed. His seeds are going to be more numerous than the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. They will take the cities of their enemies. And, and, and so you have this blessing poured out. Again, we're not called to sacrifice like Abraham, so we're not going to have children as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands of the seashore. But the idea here, along with this concept, is is that the blessings are going to be beyond what we can imagine or count or, or gather up. They're just innumerable, and God is beyond what we can imagine. So the idea here then is, is that If we draw near to God, we walk towards him as Abraham did, if we will worship and come before him, if we will look to God to supply all our needs, just like he did with the the donkey, the wood, the fire, the servants, he provided the place, if we will walk in obedience to God, if we will look to God for, for our strength as we do these things, And then if we are, and and this one to me is the key, if we're all in, as Abraham was, without a doubt, that God will provide, that God will see us through, if we're all in. And then if we'll look up, this one for me was, was kind of enlightening because when pain and suffering and loss come, a lot of times I would find myself kind of with my head hanging, kind of my shoulders slumped over, kind of dragging. And, and God's saying here to Abraham, and he was saying to me, he says, Pat, look up. Here's where your help's coming from. It's coming from me. It's coming from the Lord. And so he says, look up. And it's not just at the ram, uh, when the ram is caught in the thicket that he looks up, because if you go back in, in uh, some of the earlier verse, I think it's 4, it is. It says, on the third day, Abraham looked up, and he saw the place in the distance. You see, Abraham kept his eyes up, kept them fixed on God and on God's plan, and that's when the blessings flowed. That's when we see God act. It's when we're doing it out of obedience and out of God's plan and in God's way and doing it with, as Abraham did without the doubt and without the fear. Now, that's great. We understand the providence of God and how he provided for Abraham. How We, we can see where it would apply to us, and we could see how we might apply that to the things that we're faced with in life. It's, then you come across and you say, okay, well, then what do I do with verses like uh, Jeremiah 29, 11? Okay? Uh, very, very uh, familiar passage for many of us. Um, for me, it was one that, that, uh, that I just clung to. It says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, the plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and to give you a future. God's providence for me has already been planned out. It was planned from eternity past. He knew exactly what was going to take place on September 12th last year. He knew exactly what was going to take place over the course of this last 11 months. It didn't take him by surprise one of the things that that God's providence is it it, it provides there's three scriptures that I put up Um, it's 1st Timothy 1 or 2nd Timothy chapter 1 God's providence was from days gone by it was pre-planned and in 2nd Timothy 1 verses 8 through 10 says God called us according to his purpose and his grace okay wasn't anything that we did in Titus 1.3, it says, God who never lies promised us eternal life before the ages began. And in Ephesians 1.4, it says, God chose us before the foundation of the world. You see, God's providence is not only universal. It is not only from days gone by. It is not only uh, complete every, every moment of human existence, which brings us to today. The songs that we sang this morning, some scriptures that Becky shared with me this morning before we got here, God's providence, if you're looking for it, it's here, it's real, and it's a part of every minute of our lives. Uh, the songs, uh, one, and, and I'll try and remember it, it says, uh, and suddenly, I can't remember the song, the, the phrases, but the, the, you sang them with us. They were just incredible about how this suffering is going to pass and in light of the glory it just fades and and so it was really just a vision to see God's providence as he does this but the fact that we are here today that you are here today this was not by chance God had seen this down through the ages his providence had planned it so if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior he has a message for you and he didn't do this by chance He wanted you here to hear this, that from the days of old, from before time began, he wanted you to know God loves you. He had a redemption plan. He had a plan, a a rescue plan that Jesus was going to execute, that he was going to take on flesh. He was going to come here and live as you and I. He was going to do it without sin. He was going to die in my place so that I could have eternal life. This was not by chance that you're here to hear that message. If you have not made a decision for Jesus Christ, I I encourage you today because the next scripture that I'm going to show you is, is that God is not slack concerning or God is not slow concerning his promises as some would consider slowness because he is patient with us, wanting us all to come to repentance. You see, it's not by chance that you're here to hear that message. So if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, I encourage you, make that decision for Christ. Trust his death, burial, and resurrection in its entirety for your eternal security. It's faith alone in Christ alone. Now, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, as I did when I was a young man or young teen, um, God has a very different message for us today. And, and that message is, is found... Um, in, uh, let me catch up with my notes, 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. You see, he calls us, in 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10 says, and he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. You see, just like our salvation in that we had nothing to to contribute to it we could not improve it we couldn't make it better we couldn't earn it we couldn't we didn't deserve it it's the same thing god has saved us and called us to a holy life not because of anything that we have done not because we deserved it but for his grace and his purpose so then the question becomes well pat what are you doing with this life and that's the beginning of 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 the, the switch in, in my journey as I began to, to unfold and unpack God's providence for me through this past year. Says, so what are you doing with this life? If you trusted Christ for your eternal security, do you trust him to see you through these hard times, this pain, the suffering, the loss that this life brings us? That's the question we have to ask ourselves, is if we've trusted Christ as our Savior, we know that we have eternal life. We know that we're going to spend eternity in heaven. But do we believe that He's going to see us through these steps? <clears throat> Proverbs 16, uh, verse 9 says, A man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. As I shared with you, I had this plan. I had a, what would have been a great plan. I thought it was a great plan. God saw it otherwise. Okay? So as, as I think about this, and I was trying to get my head around these scriptures, if all of this is under the watchful eye of God, if all of human existence, all of my existence is under the watchful eye of God, what then do I do with this pain, suffering, and loss? You see, you may have even asked the question, why does God allow and then fill in the blank? For me, you know if you listen to joy f m uh, somebody asked the question earlier there was a there was a lady on who was talking about how she was diagnosed with cancer and how she prayed and how the music and and it just encouraged her, and then later on got a diagnosis that she had either was in remission or, or there was no cancer and i 'm hearing this and it 's like, well Lord, why one why not the other i mean what are you what are you trying to do here why 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 are you putting this in my in front of me. Um, it, it was it was just a real struggle. And, and so, you you've, may have asked those questions yourself. You may have had someone ask you uh, those questions from, some, from outside. Um, why does God allow, and, and you could go back into history and you could look at, at some of the massacres, the, the Holocaust, the genocide. Why does God allow this? If he is a good God and he has good plans for us, why does he allow this? Or the question might even be, where was God when X happened fill in the blank okay for me it was on September 12th of last year where was God when this took place and what I would share with you and one of the things that I've learned is is that God was in the same place on September 12th that he was when he and his son experienced the pain the suffering and the loss that Jesus endured for me at Calvary he was on his throne and he was in total control He wasn't sitting on his throne while Jesus was getting uh, beaten and and whipped and caused uh, and made to carry his cross and then crucified. He wasn't sitting up there going, oh, I didn't see that coming. It didn't take him by surprise. He knew exactly what was going to happen then, and he knew exactly what was going to happen to me on September 12th, to Becky on August 4th of last year. So these things didn't take God by surprise, so if they don't surprise him and his plans are good, how do I deal with this? How do I get my head around? Because Lord, I hear your scriptures that say you have plans for me and they're to prosper me and they're not to harm me and I'm standing there going, but this hurts. How do I deal with this? And then he begins to teach us. If we will follow it according as Abraham did in the concepts of doing it God's way, he begins to teach us this. And the things that, that, that I learned in dealing with this come from James 4, 8, was the passage that, that, that I clung to through these times, which is, draw near unto God, and he will draw near unto you. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 were the verses that Becky shares with me that she drew her strength from which which read trust in the lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths so the the then the, the things begin to change from why god and it's okay to question god it's okay to ask him why what it's not okay to do for me and i encourage you if if you have this this going on in your life and the pain and the suffering or the loss that, that um, when you it 's okay to ask why, but we can 't dwell there, we have to move beyond that, and we begin to do that, and I learned to, from from a book my brother gave me um, I, when I travel, I like to read, and so I go to my brother Kevin because he's a an avid reader, and i don 't like to read books that don't make any sense in the junk, so I let him filter all that out and I just get his recommendations for the good stuff. So I was reading this book and it's called Where's, What's the Upside of Down? So I'm reading this book and, and it's like the author's wife just died of cancer and it's like, Lord, what are you doing here? I mean, really? I'm trying to escape this on vacation, going somewhere else, I'm reading and, and it's like, what are you doing to me? And so it, it, it just brought me to the point, and this is where I began to learn the question isn't why. Although it's okay to ask the why, we just can't dwell there. The question is what? And when you begin to switch the question from why to what, it takes on a whole new perspective. You see, because God is not going to waste a tear. He's not going to waste an event. They are all for my benefit and for his glory. And if that's the case, the question has to be, what next, Lord? What is it that you have for me? What is it that you want from me? What is it that you want me to do with this? How is it that you are going to use me in this? And for the sake of time, I won't share all the details of this, but a very dear friend of mine from our church, uh, Fenton Crossing Bible Chapel, Fenton, Missouri, about three months ago, we have, like you, um, the lead team. Um, We have elders that, that are overseers of our church, and I happen to be one of them. And there are four other men that I do this with, and, and God has, has richly blessed me through this. But one of the things that happened was her husband was killed in a car accident about two and a half months ago. All four of my fellow elders, all the other men, were either on their way out of town or were already out of town. I was the only one left. The call came in. She had a need. Who better to share with her than someone who has just lost a spouse I will tell you in in my previous prior to that I would have run as fast as I could from that because it it would have been the worst thing in the world I would have never ever gone there but I had to all the other guys were gone I was the only one left and it wasn't by chance it was God's providence that I was the only one left because there wasn't anybody of the five of us or within our church who can relate to losing a spouse. If any of you have experienced that, do you know what I'm talking about? And so I've never prayed so hard. When the call came in, I dropped what I was doing, and I went to her side and to her family. And God used me beyond anything I could have ever imagined or even thought of in a way that she needed. He is using Becky and I now in her life beyond anything that I could have imagined or thought of. Now, does that make it okay that my wife lost her battle with cancer? No, it doesn't. But it's for my benefit and God's glory that he's using these things. And the question became, what, not why? And the what was so that I could minister to part of his body and to encourage her and to see her through that. Because, and maybe you've experienced it from the, the, this past year, I'll share something with you for, for those of you who have not had the the un, misfortune of, of losing someone that close to you. There are no words. There are no words. If you look at the Scripture and you look at Job's friends who came to him, they sat with him for one, seven days, one full week, and said nothing. And it wasn't until they opened their mouth that they messed things up, okay? So what that said to me was, Pat, go, sit quietly, don't say anything because there are no words. We all have well-meaning, and I've said them prior to, to my wife's passing. I've said them. I'm sorry. There are no words. There are no words to console that person. You go, you sit quiet, and as God leads to take care of things, you just do it. And that's what God had taught me. And he used me to minister to this family beyond anything that I could have imagined. And I personally would have run as far and as fast as I could the other way. But God saw fit to change that. And so you, you have this, this providence of God um, that, that is nothing escaping his watchful eye. My human existence is beyond, uh, or, or his, his watchful eye, nothing is beyond his, his, his view his plan his, his providence nothing not even that type of a thing I would tell you a couple of stories before I do I want to I look at uh, see if I can catch up with my slides from Mark uh, Matthew chapter 6 um, and verse 8 starting with verse 8 this is where the Lord Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray and he says to them he says therefore do not be like them speaking of the Pharisees He says, for your father knows the things that you need even before you ask him. And so as this year began to unfold, what I would share with you is this, and and I asked Becky to make sure that I could share this, but uh, five years ago now, if you go back in time, she shared with me that her husband, then Mark, lost his job, was unable to find some work for a little while, The work he did find was not nearly as financially rewarding as as they they had been accustomed to. And she began to search. And she began to search out what's going on here. And as she did, the Lord led her here to Family Bible Church, where she got saved, where, where her husband got saved, where her children got saved, where one of her grandchildren has professed his salvation in Christ sorry and things began to look up again life was good four years goes on things are good they're growing in the Lord they're developing relationships the family the, the relationships are growing beyond what you could imagine or think the church family relationships are growing beyond what you could imagine or think and on August the fourth her world got rocked again Whew. got turned upside down but God in his providence knew what she needed that was going to take place sin and the fall of man is going to bring these things into our lives there's no escaping it this side of eternity but God knew what she was gonna need at that time before she did and before she asked that's why she God knew that she was going to need her children in a way that she never needed before she, God knew that she was going to need this church family beyond anything that she knew or could imagine. And you have fulfilled that. Her children have fulfilled that. And she did it without doubt and fear of what God had for her. For myself personally, as I shared with you, on September 12th, my world got rocked. My wife of 33 years, the bride of my youth, our honeymoon never ended. I had 33 years of bliss and on September 12th, my world got rocked. And so as these things unfolded, God knew what I needed before I even asked. And there was a window that I met Becky in that's about this big. For the sake of time, I won't share all the details of that window. But if you'd like to know, I'm happy to share them. But it was the meeting you would say, by chance? I don't think so. Okay. I think it was God's provision. Because I share with you about my wife and, and the fact that we had 33 years of bliss because we had the relationship, we had that picture perfect. If, if you were to ask my wife at that time about me, she would tell you I was perfect. Okay? And you would know, know nothing different. Now you all know that I am not perfect because in our human fallen state there is none of us that is perfect. But she would tell you that, and I about her. And so we had this this joy and this passion for marriage and marriage done right. We taught in our in our church uh, uh, marriage classes uh, for uh, for our congregation. We've done premarital counseling for young couples getting married to get them off on the right foot, and and. And then my world got rocked. This was our passion. This is what we lived for. So my world gets rocked. I go for a long time, I should not say a long time, for, several, for a little while, and in this window about this big, I met Becky. Now, what are the chances that you would meet someone, this is me asking the question, who has a passion for marriage. She was married 35 years. Now, we were talking about anniversaries earlier, okay? Now, my parents just celebrated 60 years, okay? I will tell you from now on, starting on August the 20th of this year, Becky and I have got you all beat because we have 68 years between the two of us. So take that, all right? And then we'll have 69 next year so you won't catch us, all right? Between the two of us, we have 68 years of successful marriage. Mine was bliss. You would ask her, she would tell you the same things. She had a good marriage. So this, this... window of me meeting someone, what are the chances that I'm going to meet someone, one who has a heart for marriage, a heart for marriage done right, has a heart for the Lord, for the Word of God, for, for God's people, and for missions? What are the chances that I'm going to meet someone that has those same passion, passions? Because on September 12th, if you'd asked me, I didn't think life was going to exist beyond September 12th, much less at any level of goodness there was no way I didn't even think I was going to go on to live and yet a few months later I meet Becky what are the chances I would tell you there is no chance this is God's provision of knowing what I needed before I did and before I even asked because I have a passion for those things, he put someone in my life that shares those passions with me. Now, is is our wedding and our relationship going to replace the ones that we had? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But those things were going to happen because of sin and the nature of fallen man in this world. But God saw fit to provide for our needs even when we didn't know we were going to need it. Those are the things that I would share with you. Um, and, and there's more to that. Those are those that's just the top line. There's so much more to that. So God knows what we need before we ask Him, but yet then He goes on in, in this passage in Matthew chapter six, and he says, Then pray like this, or in this manner pray. Okay? Well, wait a second now. If God already knows what I need, He's provided it from days of old. Uh, what's the deal here? Pray like this? You already did it. It's already planned. What do you mean? He's saying pray like this. And then you go on to read in the passage. Again, I think it's worth reading. It's a very familiar passage. This is what we would call the Lord's Prayer. Now, some of us came out of a tradition that that this uh, was taught where we were to memorize it, we were to recite these words, and we were to recite them over and over again. Um, I don't recite them over again, but I think, and for a long time, I would even probably bristle at this passage and, and go completely to the other extreme and just walk away from it. I think God has taught me to come back somewhere in the middle of this passage and to, to understand what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples. He says, You've got to do things God's way. He says, he already knows what he needs, what you need before you ask he's already planned it out he says but he wants you to pray just like he wanted Abraham to walk in faith walk towards God to honor him worship him and do God's way he's saying to us here in this passage then picking up from verse 9 it says Jesus teaching um, uh, there it is teaching his disciples how to pray says our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into t- temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Okay. So, again, I was taught to memorize these and to recite these. But I think what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples is this. God wants this relationship with us. He wants this This intimate relationship and he even though we can count on the scriptures that he's already done this he says pray like this and what he means by this is first off we have to acknowledge God for who he is think about this we're addressing the holy one the sovereign of the universe the creator of all things the one who holds all things together by his power that's who we're addressing he says so acknowledge God for who he is then he goes on and he says, yield to him, okay? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth or in my life as it is in heaven. Now, I've not been to heaven and back, so I don't have a, a, a firsthand knowledge of what heaven's like, but I think the Scripture gives us a few insights, and I think it allows us to draw some, some uh, 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 perceptions of things that we can expect bottom line is it's going to be great. It's going to be glorious. My wife of 33 years is sitting before the throne of God in all of his glory, praising him forever. That's what the scriptures will tell us. The scriptures will tell us that the, 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 the current sufferings that we're experiencing are no comparison to the glory that we will see that will be revealed in us in Christ Jesus. So, we have this picture of heaven which is centered around Jesus. It's all about his glory. It's all about his praise and his honor. And he's saying to me, Pat, yield it. It's my will, my kingdom, in your life even now and to come. And he goes on to say, rely on God. He's the giver and sustainer of life. Not just, you know, it's his... Give us this day our daily bread. We're not talking about our, our, our food, although that's part of it. He's talking about your everyday needs, moment to moment, day by day. God is a sustainer and giver of life, and He will provide these things. His providence has already proven that out. He will give us these things, even our daily bread. It says, In light of, uh, or, or uh, forgive us our sins. In, This mercy, if you think about the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the holy one, and then you look at me and my sin and the great gulf that's between us, oh, to fall on the hands of the merciful God because that's what we need. We can't do any of this without God's mercy. And he says, rely on me, my mercy, my goodness. It's already been determined. And then he says, in light of that, do that for others. So when those around us, my brother calls uh, uh, family and and family church kind of like porcupines. And in the wintertime, they try to huddle together and they start poking each other. Well, that's what family does. And sometimes we start poking each other. And what God says, in light of my mercy towards you, show mercy towards others. That's what he's teaching us. And like Abraham like many of the heroes of the Bible, when we do it God's way, the blessings will flow beyond what we can imagine and beyond what we can think. Now, our, our God's providence for our future is summed up in a couple of things. First one is in Romans eight eighteen. It says, I consider that our present suffering are not worthy of comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Amen? This world will pass. These things will pass. And the glory that God's given us will be revealed when we see him face to face. There's nothing better than that. John 11:26. 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me even though he dies, whoever lives by believing, excuse me, the one who, be- who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this was the question he had for you see for us who have trusted Christ for our eternal security do we believe his promises and I had to say well yes I do then it became what Lord and as you heard how it unfolds second Timothy chapter 2 verses 11 to 13 says here's a trustworthy saying that if we die with him we will also live with him and if we endure with him, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful and cannot disown himself. This passage for me uh, took on a whole new meaning this year. You know, we've all talked about if we will uh, die with Christ, we will live with him. We all know, uh, many of us know, and have memorized Galatians 2:20 that um, that that reads. Um, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life that I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's very true. These sayings are true. They're trustworthy. They're due. But the thing that jumped out at me in this passage was this. First off, I would share with you a quote from C.S. Lewis, prolific author, great Christian, He said to to, uh, some time ago, it says that God whispers to us in our pleasure, he speaks to us in our consciousness, and he shouts to us in our pain. And what God was shouting to me here is this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. You see, because while I was dwelling with the why, I was not showing my faith to God or in his plans, or in his promises, but he was faithful. He cannot change, he cannot disown himself. He is always faithful, and that's what he was shouting to me is, Pat, let go, let me handle it. I'll do it, I have plans for you. They're to prosper you, they're not to harm you. They're for your future, okay? And so I began to get my head around those things and relying on God to do those, and that's how my year unfolded. The last two things that I would share with you as we close are this. First one is from Revelation chapter 21 in verses 1 through 7. It is as the new heavens and the new earth are unfolded. It says, and then I saw the new heaven and the new earth, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautiful and dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will be with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. He said, I am, it is done I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life, and those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Think about back now to the beginning of this conversation, what God's word, his counsel has said he will do. And his promises is that this life, these things that we know to be part of our everyday existence, they will pass. They're going to be the old things have passed away. There will be no more crying, no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. We will be in his glory with him. This is trustworthy and true. Jesus said, him that sits on the throne said, it is done. It's not in question. It helped me get my head around why these things were going and what is in store. And the last thing I would share with you is if you were here a couple of weeks ago, Bill shared it from a passage in Mark um, chapter 9, yep, verses 21 to 24. And it, it just really struck me, and it resonated with me, and I thought that, you know what, at, at that point I was preparing this message, and I hadn't figured out how I wanted to end it and God revealed that to me. This is a passage where Jesus, a boy and his father, the boy who is possessed by an evil spirit, comes to Jesus and the father, and Jesus asks the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, childhood, he answered, this is, he, excuse me, it is often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If I can, said Jesus, Anything is possible for the one who believes And immediately the boy's father exclaimed I believe but help me overcome my unbelief And it was like God screaming at me Going Pat, here it is okay? Think about this for a second this, As parents we want nothing but good for our children This boy has been suffering since his childhood He comes to Jesus knowing that Jesus can supply all that he, Why else would you come? but that trusted Jesus was going to be able to do something. he says, if you can do something, have pity on me. And now get this. This is what jumped off the page, said, Pat, wake up. Here it is. Okay? What do you mean, if I can do something? I'm the sovereign of the universe. I'm the one who holds all things together. What do you mean, if I can do something? I can. And all things are possible with God to those who believe. And that's what he was saying, shouting to me during this time, was, do you believe, Pat? And then I had to, like the Father, exclaim, God, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Because when we see the pain, the suffering, and the loss each and every day as we live through it, it's hard, it's hard. But God is faithful, because he cannot disown himself. He will see us through and it is a good plan, and it is all for my benefit and for his glory, amen? Let's close. Our Father, we thank you this morning for this time in the word. We thank you for the real-life experiences that we can learn from, that we could see your faithfulness, your goodness towards us. We could see the, the good plans that you have not to harm us, to give us a future. We thank you, Lord, for that. I pray that you would help us to see that, to overcome, to, to be faithful even when times are hard. But Lord, we're thankful that you are faithful when we are not. It's in your holy and worthy name that we pray. Amen.